Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We have a very special guest this week. Today's guest is a teaching professional and director of instruction at Woodmont Country Club in Rockville, Maryland. She's recognized as a top 50 teacher by both Golf Digest and the LPGA and honored as the 2017 Middle Atlantic PGA Teacher of the Year. She's also a Golf Magazine Top 100 Teacher in America. She also has a master's degree in motor learning and her area of expertise is in helping golfers develop their skills as quickly as possible and help them practice efficiently. We certainly all need that. She has a law following of students, including political figures, world leaders and A-list celebrities. And she is with us today to share her knowledge and wisdom to help you transform your practice and golf swing. Now, make sure you screenshot this, tag us in, let us know where you're listening from and also tag today's guest in and give her a follow and let her know that you're listening. Also, if you haven't checked out our Five Shots Lower video series, then make sure you check it out. The link is going to be in the show notes. It's literally five videos on all areas of the game that will help you save shots off your round. So make sure you do check that out as well. So without further ado, please welcome today's guest, Trillium Rose, to the podcast. Trillium, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's actually been a few, has it been a few years since we've actually seen you in person now? The time's gone fast, hasn't it? It has. I think that I yeah, when's the last time I saw you guys just the PGA show. Yeah. Oh boy, in person. So that at least two years. I'm yeah. looking forward to getting back to the PGA show. I think the next PGA show, everyone's gonna, gonna <laughs> want to be there. No kidding. <laughs> it isn't. Um, let's get straight into it, Trillium. Um, how are golfers getting practice wrong? What, you know, from what you do, what your research, from the people that you deal with, how are people getting it wrong? I love this topic. You know, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a this is an issue that struck me pretty early on when I started as a teacher that, you know, I, I'm going to help somebody by giving them a good diagnostic. <clears throat> but what that person then does with the information from from the time they leave me to the time that they're on their own, that's really important. How they're gonna spend their time taking that and then turning that into something that they're gonna do more regularly. Um, sometimes I try not to use the word practice because it just it brings up all this baggage and it doesn't sound very fun, but I think the concept of a repetition really is practice. So what are people getting wrong? The, the first thing is, is not to mistake being able to do it with having learned it. So being able to do it might mean, oh, I need to get my club shaft flatter halfway down. Oh, okay. And then I just do it. And then bam, the ball, the ball comes off the face much better. Um, but you still have to think about that when you're, when you're doing it for the first time. And early in learning, it requires a plan. And the plan starts in your prefrontal cortex, in your, you know, right up here in your executive command center. And that takes up a lot of energy for your brain. Your brain's like, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I got to do it. And then you execute. And some people can execute things easily. Some people not, depends on what it is, depends, depends on a lot of things. But let's just say if you can do it, that's still, that's still a plan that you had to prepare and think about. It doesn't mean it's going to now be natural. And I, I, gosh, I hear people make this mistake all the time. They think, well, if I just get a lot of lessons, I'm going to be much better. Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, maybe, but you still have to do the work. So I feel like my in, in, in coaching time, 
my in-person time um, sometimes is a starting point where I'm giving some, you know, some feedback, but sometimes it's just, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's like a next, next best thing other than being doing it alone. You have a coach there, you're being supervised by someone, but you still have to do the work. You still have to do the work to, to become, um, for that to become more innate and to move back into the more procedural part of your brain, which is the basal ganglia. And that just takes, it takes time and repetition. Yeah, so just to create the, the habits, really, if you like, of uh, to make it easy, which is the hard part. And we've all been there in terms of coaches. You send somebody away and they've nailed it in the lesson for that, however long you've had with them. And then they've been back, they come back and you go, well, we had it so good last time. You know, what's happened in between? There's been, a, there's been something that's gone off in between that lesson. Um, so I suppose for the, for the typical, let's say the, the listener to this, who's who's regular golfer, recreational golfer who spends, plays every week, they've got maybe one to two hours to practice per week. What should they, what should they be considering in those, in those, in that hour or two hours that they should be involving in practice in order to really make good swing changes or um, just to help them get the most out of their game? So you, you and I work with the, the two of you, when I say you, it's the collective you. <laughs> you know, we work with a pretty big spectrum of people. I would say developing athletes that might be in high school who have a lot of time to give, maybe five, six hours a week, maybe 10 hours a week. But then I'd say the majority of the people are adults and they've got, they've got jobs and families and kids and th other things that they have to do in their life. So I'll speak to the, I'll speak to, kind of to the average, which would be the, you know, the 30 year old, the you know, who's, who's got stuff to do. Um, you can get a lot done in two to three hours a week. You, you can get a ton done actually, if you're strategic about it. And, and I think it starts with understanding where your weaknesses are um, in, in a particular swing. I'm, I'm gonna use, you know, a golf example perfectly. So let's say, you know that you're hooking it off the tee. So you probably need to think about your path. Off, off the tee. So, so let's, like, instead of thinking, well, let's just, I'm really good at my seven iron. Let's just hit that. Or, uh, you know, may I just want to hit it iron off the tee. Okay. Yeah. But let's think, let's think about why you might be hooking it and why, and, and go straight to the issue at hand and go, and, and then how, what are you doing to create that problem in the first place? You know, where, where are you going wrong? And so if you can pinpoint the problem, then you can manage it and you can work on it and you can fix it. And I found that anybody can make a change. Anybody can make a change. I don't care if you're 80. And there's research on this too. There's actually a, a really interesting paper on 80, literally 80 year olds and 20 year olds learning how to juggle and, and no one knew how to juggle. And they did fMRI studies on their brains before and after, like, you know, six months after or something. And lo and behold, Everybody learned it did take the 80 year olds a little bit longer, but the same procedural changes in, in the brain happened no matter what age. So, you know, I think people, people say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be doing this. No, you, you don't always have to do it. it it's, it's more of a choice for you. Do you, do you want to tackle it? Do you want to put some time into it? You know, how important is it to you? Um, I don't judge. Like if you don't have the time to do the change, you don't have the wherewithal. You, I get it. I'm, I'm so busy. I am real bit. I don't, I don't have time to do all the stuff I want to do. I'm learning tennis. I don't have time to, 
really would like to practice tennis. I don't have time. I get it. But if you do have a couple minutes, I'd say go right to the thing that's causing the issue. Now, let's just, can I shift gears a little bit to the yeah, someone yeah. who doesn't have the time at all to work on that path? Okay, so you're going to be hooking it. All right, then, you know, I, I'd say figure out a few things. You guys do a, a remarkably good job giving people solutions, like unbelievable. You've got a trove of videos and options and, and data points and answers of, to figure out how to solve that. So I think people ought to utilize you for that. Um, but then they got to do the work. They actually have to do the work. And if it feels, hey, everybody listening, if it feels comfortable, that means you probably haven't changed. <laughs> yeah. So just keep, keep that in mind. And then if you, and if you really, really um, don't know where to start, start keeping stats. Start really kind of looking at yourself. I, I feel like stats is just like a big mirror. And it will really tell you, oh, I'm not. I'm not actually that bad from 150 yards, but I'm horrible from 20 yards in. You know what I mean? And then you can maybe make a better um, choice as to what you work on. So it's, it's interesting you say there as well about, you know, you've got to be uncomfortable to create the change. And we're always the same. We, we, we ask that question at probably every lesson that we do. It says, does that feel comfortable? Oh, yeah, it's okay. Well, we're not doing it properly then. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this though, who it feels uncomfortable, and they're hitting it bad. So what are some of the keys that you would do to help get them and nurse them through that period? Because it's very easy if we weren't there in a supervisory, supervisory mode, if they hit a bad shot but do a good move, we're like, okay, well, the move was okay, that's okay. Just do that again and we'll see that they'll start to pick up. But if you're by yourself on the range and you hit that bad shot and it felt uncomfortable, how do you get that person to continue along that journey? Oh, that, I love that point because this happens all the time, doesn't it? Single and, and I really feel for everybody who's out there, who's, who's um, you know, feeling like you're drowning. They feel like they're drowning, but really, really they're not drowning. You know, they're like four feet of water, but it feels like, oh my gosh, I've lost it all. And no, for, to us, we can say, oh, no, 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 no. 90% of what you just did was fantastic. And the task at hand was actually fantastic. You just were maybe a half inch too high and it felt horrible you know, or you didn't get the loft, but okay. So here's the deal. If it's all about getting accurate feedback somehow, somehow, you know, not everybody has a track man. I get it, but there are, there are other ways you could feel like the poor man track man, you could put another ball in front of a ball, right? So if you're pat, trying to work on path or swing direction and it nails a box, then you kind of know that your swing direction wasn't, wasn't changed. So feedback, 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 and trying to figure out a way to set the feedback up so that it's going to, to um, give you an answer as to what that particular move you're trying to change. And you can just get really creative with it, like pool noodles. Um, you guys know all about this, but you know, and like you can get red really everyday stuff to give you feedback. Like, you know, you, you don't know if your lower body is moving because you're putting, well then lean up against the wall. Um, get, get a pool noodle on pool noodles are so cheap, especially now at the end of the summer. Um, even, you know what, I, I go to Home Depot and I get the, um, plumbing insulation. (laughs) (laughs) Guys at Home Depot are like, what are you doing (laughs) with all these tubes? Um, really easy ways to, to figure things out. And, uh, I like boxes, you know, just from Amazon or something, a, a cardboard boxes can do an amazing job working on like shanks or something you put on the outside of the ball. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's really the key video. Who doesn't have a phone? Mm. 
who doesn't have a phone? So if you, if you, if you, as a, as a player, let's, I'll use myself as a player. So if I know that I'm really trying to like right now, for example, I'm, I'm trying not to, um, to kind of get a little too fast with my hands. I mean, played 12 years of lacrosse. I have a tendency to get like, like, like really uh, jerky up there. Um, video, I'll just, I'll just throw on a video and, um, and I'll just look. And so I know what I'm looking for. Therefore, I don't care if I top it or shank it or, or skull it. Um, what I'm looking for, the task at hand is what I'm going to judge myself on. And yeah. that's sort of, that's like not a comfortable space to be. But I think if you really zone in and focus on what you're trying to do, it can be very, very productive and rewarding. Yeah, we always, we, we always talk about this as well. And this is why sometimes we like, we love the, the sort of the home practice and the nets because you're not so reactive to the ball flight and so many golfers will be just hitting their practice session session is judged by how well they hit the golf ball instead of actually going, well, if I want to go and fix my, my sway or my path, how well have I done in actually, actually making a change in that and dealt with some of the bad shots and just accepted them. You know, we're always saying, look, you know, we was doing a, doing a lesson the other day and we were, we're almost saying, great work to a guy who's hit this shot who's done this swing before he's hit the golf ball before we've even seen the shot that he's hit we're going great really good and then he's hit a terrible shot but we're going great that was perfect totally totally you know i've got a hitting bay at woodmont where i teach the, the hitting bay's got a, a garage door that opens to the driving range now our driving range is usually set up right in front so if, if the net's open you'd hit a ball and you'd bean someone in the head so we so we pull the net back during the summer i'll pull people in there with hitting into a net on purpose for that exact reason because i want them to have the experience of hitting the ball but i don't want them to be so obsessed with the outcome and let the outcome be the decider of whether their movement was good yeah. And I think that's a really tricky, it's a really hard thing to do if you're a player. It's a really hard thing to, to separate the movement from the outcome. And yeah. all we know, I mean, and they're great players, great players out there that have just, I don't know how they learn. They just learn by figuring out how to get the ball to go. Mm -hmm. And they're using the outcome, you know, great athletes um, can do that. People that aren't even great athletes can do that. But then our job is like, okay, well, they're having problems. What's going on in the movement that might need to change? The movement might inherently have some problems that are either, you know, going to cause them physical issues later, like with their back or their spine or inconsistencies, you know, in the long run, or, you know, they're trying to develop more speed and they're not utilizing what they have effectively, you know, or they're trying to reduce a certain um, tendency with ball flight. And well, you're just you have to make a change because it's physics. Your golf club is moving in the wrong way to create that outcome. So, you know, that's where we come in. And I think that's where, it's, that's where that conversation, that hard conversation has to be had with, and then like the realization for the player that, okay, this is something that I'm either willing to do or I'm not willing to do, um, you know, kind of figure out what, what everyone wants to do. So, so it, it is, yeah, I think this is obviously we know that this stuff works for sure. But what about a golfer who is, let's say that you've got a golfer who's slicing the golf ball and we've done the diagnosis, they understand the feedback they need to do, they know, they know they've got to video themselves, they know they've got to work at their drills, they've got the feedback on the ground as well, the, you know, the, the, the $10 launch monitor, as you say, a golf ball box and what have you, a towel, whatever you need. How do we get make that make sure we have this crossover from 
working out the new skill and learning the new technique to then being able to play golf still. So do mm. you separate your practice? Sorry, your, what do you call them? If you don't call them practice sessions, what would you prefer to call them actually? Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I call it practice, but yeah, I was okay. just using repetitions or. Yeah. So, so, how, so absolutely. I just wonder what you, what, you, what you did call it, but so how do you go about breaking up that session so that they know that they're getting that quality change in their style of their golf swing, but also still keeping that ability to play golf the weekend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like taking your range game to the course <laughs> that's the one <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah um so i look I, I look at the the practice range as, as just a starting point um it's a great place to make tons of mistakes and if you are focused on your intention and that repetition can be very valuable mm-hmm. that that action of make a plan execute evaluate whether you adhere to the plan like that's the productive cycle if it if there's no plan there's just a hit and then a hit and react that's not useful and that's usually what people do is hit and react and hit and react um so the plan ahead i mean and and i'm not saying that the plan has to be really complicated it's not like you know everybody wants to have good i mean i don't have a ton of thoughts in my head at this point, but I've put in a ton of work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have cues that pull up good swings, you know, their feelings and cues that can make, I can get the feel, um, but I've done the work. So how do you, how do you, how do you manage that and take it to a golf course? Well, first we've got to reduce some of that heavy load in your brain. Like it can't be a ton of work. Um, you got to do it a bit so that so that it starts to smooth out. I like to take people on the golf course a lot as an example of how to bridge the gap. So instead of thinking in a in a in a linear um, let's play golf and counter strokes mentality, we go out there and say, "All right, now you're going to do what we've been working on, but we're going to do it on the course. We're going to kind of plug it in to the uneven lies, and we're plugging into." tighter tighter fairways and 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 less you know less room for error and so so you're doing it with a bit more pressure and a bit more of, of um a picture in your mind so the context is is realistic um and so that's that's like a stepping stone to going on playing so, so instead of and I, not everybody has the option to do this you know if, it, if you if you're paying a greens fee and you're paying quite a bit of money for a greens fee you're probably not going to want to you probably can't, your range is going to find you <laughs> hit three balls from 150 yards. Um, <clears throat> try to stagger it. If you can, don't hit all three from the same spot and make three divots. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do 160, 150, 140, um, I mean, there's probably ways you can get creative, you know, in some golf courses you can rent a hole, which is kind of cool. And you could, you could just, uh, you know, you use one particular hole, but I think the concept would be if, if you really can't get out there, uh, and practice on a golf course. And what, what I really mean is you're, you're, you're moving along with the flow of, of pace of play, but you might skip the drive so that you have more time from certain shots that are causing you trouble. Do a couple uneven live shots, get, give, or book a tee time by yourself. So you have some time to do a little bit more of what you want to do not talking about counting strokes. I'm not talking about playing one ball. 
um, and maybe every other hole you, you you play one ball. But I think that way you have a chance, you have a little bit of room around yourself to make errors and you're not so prone to reverting back to what you've always done, which is usually what happens when, when you know, it counts and you're going to go to the pattern that's the most consistent and you well used. You're not going to go to the new one that you just learned last Friday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I'd love I'd, I'd love golfers to do more of that. And like you say, if they're on the range and they've got feedback and drills that they're doing, and then all of a sudden their next experience of golf is a competitive round of golf, <laughs> it's just so far removed from what they're doing on the range that I love the fact of just getting it on the golf course on their own, as you as you mentioned, bridging the gap between practice and sort of that competitive round. They're starting to experience something that's a little closer to it, really, and that's. You know, like I say, it's a big gap there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, the one thing that I would always say to someone who is, I'll ask them that question, do you ever play golf by yourself? And if they say, if they say they've never played golf by themselves, they actually are quite like, why, 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 do, why do I want to do that? I need to play golf with friends and I can't go on the golf course by myself. I'm not, am I allowed to do that? But it's like, that's actually the best way to learn. You know, for me personally, I think, I, I do believe as, as golf coaches, we've kind of got it a little bit wrong, you know, from the point of view of just only giving lessons on a driving range, considering no part of competitive golf is ever played on the driving range. None. It crazy. It is a bit crazy. I, I remember there was a guy, we did a conference and there's a guy called Steve Backley. I don't know whether you remember him. He was an Olympic thrower. He was, a, he was our best a javelin thrower. So he was really, really good. And he came into golf and looked at the way that golf was taught. And he says, you guys are doing this all wrong. There's no way you should be doing, you know, I work at technique for three to five hours a week. That's all, but I'm training every day, but I'm doing all the other components at the other areas that I need to be doing it. And I think there's a, there's definitely an element of us as golf coaches. And for me and Andy now, we don't coach as much. So we're always pushing it as much as we can. Can we get you on the golf course or at least go and do this on the golf course? If you're going to work at closing the face, go and close it on the golf course. Cause it just makes more sense. Right. Right. I, I love that. And I think it makes a ton of sense. I think, I think in, in our defense as golf coaches, the golf swing is a highly complex, sure. highly complex movement. Yeah. And, and it's not like throwing a dart or, yeah. you know, even throwing a ball is pretty complicated, but, but in this case, you've got a long object, you've got the golf club is long yeah. and it's gotta be, and it's hitting a very small ball, a very, fast, fast speed. Yeah. So it's a complex. So I see where, I see where we, where we, where we become caught. We've been Mm -hmm. caught up on the driving range and, you know, and we don't play a lot of scrambles. And I mean, there's a ton of metal play. I mean, we like 18 hole stroke play is, Mm -hmm. is how we play in the U S I mean, you guys, you guys have done it better, <laughs> but we—it's—I it, think that's part of the problem too. Is we got, we've gotten so carried away with hitting it so well, perfectly every time, and then, I mean, the, the the logical thought is, well, let me go work on my stroke. Yeah. And then someone help me work on my stroke. Um, you know, and that, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So interesting, obviously, look, you've got a, a, a ton of research that you've done and learnings and experience. And this is something that actually Andy was going to ask the question of, but it's, it's based on the, the best time of day to actually train 
does it is, is there a universal best time of day that you're seeing or <laughs> this is where all your lessons want to try and get that 7 p.m slot now but it's like do you, it, is there something that you've noticed through the research what does the research tell us on this and does it depend there's a there's a woman uh, professor silver at barnard university and she studies sleep patterns uh, and she's been really influential at NASA with some of the astronauts and helping them figure out how to, you know, use sleep to their advantage. And um, there are no, there's no, it's not the cycles in, with astronauts that they're here. But we have, we have circadian, the circadian rhythms and the hormonal changes during the day um, are really different. She told a really interesting story that there was a, there was a cancer drug that was, that had just come out. The cancer drug was was being used with people at this point. It had been tested with mice, it had been tested, tested, FDA approved it, used on people. The men responded completely different than the women, humans. And they came back and said, whoa, what's going on? Well, it had been tested on male mice. All the mice that they test are males, not women. So she, so I thought that was really eye-opening and I have no idea how that relates to practicing golf, whether the women need to practice at two and the men need to practice at 11. <laughs> um, but I do know from that that there are hormonal cycles and balances during that change during the day. So the, the, the conclusion of, of this, the cancer drug was that the women should take it at a different time of day than the men. Whoa. Wow. Whoa, right? Now, in terms of practice, I grew up practice at four o'clock after school. I think most kids did. I'm used to an afternoon high energy routine. Um, I don't do well practicing or even, now my husband rode, he rode, you know, crew. That was a very early morning thing and he did really well with that. Um, so, you know, I don't actually know the answer for everyone. I do know that there are times a day that are better for people. Yeah. Um, I'm so curious to hear what you have to say, Andy, because clearly you're, you've been reading about this and thinking about it. Yeah, I think it was just more on the sleep thing again, really. I think it was, um, I'm trying to think what book it was in. It might have been in Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, mm -hmm. um, potentially, or something else that I read. And it was just talking about when you practice a skill later on in the day, um, when you sleep straight after you've practiced a skill, you retain that skill. Yeah, it, was, it consolidates it. That's yeah. for sure. Neurologically, it's really good to have a night's sleep to consolidate what That's you've right. done. And yeah. exercise is quite great for your brain as well. Um, better than crossword puzzles if you're looking for mental acuity. Hi everyone, Andy here. Just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans and we've seen some amazing results from these plans and these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do we tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score fix a slice improve your putting or short game we have a plan that will suit you 
We're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well. And we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. I think the valid point you just made there, though, was that if you have been someone who practiced a lot after high school or you practiced a lot before work, whatever it was, you know, if you look back at the time when you have been a high performer training at a certain time, then there's a clue there, isn't there, that you could probably replicate? Yeah, I think so. Know thyself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just just want to go into a little bit on, um, I suppose, more, let's say, block practice and developing new skills and training a new sort of new pattern if you like and just go into some training aids a lot of people love their training aids i've got a little short club here that i'm just holding we've got training aids around the office but people love training aids i know americans love training aids more than anybody else um how how should we best use them is there a certain um again what does the research show and and what's the best way are there are they a good thing the training aids and how should we be thinking about using them in a, in a, a more efficient way to get our most out of them, really. Yeah, this is another place where people go really, really wrong and really, really right. And so training, think of training aids as just feedback devices. It's just a way to get feedback. And the, the overall objective is for us as a player to play better. And if that means we're trying to make an adjustment in our swing, we may need feedback to feel what that adjustment is like. So the feedback system in our own brain is what we're trying to train. We're trying to train our, our, our own feedback system, say, this is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. You know, and as coaches, we're giving, you know, external feedback. We're telling somebody else, this is right, this is wrong. Maybe verbally, maybe with the training, you know, whatever it is, it's it's coming from the outside, and the intrinsic feedback system is ultimately what we're trying to get better with. So, here's the deal with training aids, and there's a ton of research on this, tons, because in stroke rehabilitation, people might have lost the ability to walk and have to relearn how to walk. So the research has been done on, um, you know, motor skill, not for golf, but for other things that are maybe more important. I don't know. (laughs) So let's suppose, let's suppose if I'm, if I'm using like a towel under my arm draw, I'm trying to do a 30 yard chip shot. I'm trying to keep my arms close to my torso, trying to feel the rotation of my chest rather than get wristy towel under the arm. That's probably the only time I really like that drill. Really, really like it is that small little shot. That's good. If you, if you don't have a feel for it, that's a great drill because then it can give you a feel, but then can you do it without it? So you've got to be able to test yourself without it. And then you've got to be able to test yourself on the course without it. So if we become too reliant on something that does it for us, that's not good. And the research has shown time and time and time again, that those training aids in, in practice or during the repetition or um, while someone's moving, make make the action much better they they always do but then afterwards they don't help mm-hmm. if you if you've been relying on them too much and it's you if you're using them too much 
Would it be would it be better to do short bursts of going right? I'm gonna let's say you've got like the swing guide for a wrist set or something. Instead of ha having a hundred golf balls with the swing guide on, yes. Short burst, take it away, get the feel. Not reliant so much on it, bringing in and out. Yes, yes. Or or to your point, let's start with a Monday afternoon. You're gonna do ten minutes with with it on. Wednesday, you're gonna do ten minutes, five minutes with it on, five minutes off. Friday, you're going to do one minute and then Saturday, let's see if you can do it. So, so taper it down and then really test to see whether you've made, you've made it. And then two weeks, two weeks later, test it to see if you've retained it. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a great as a reminder tool to, to, to kind of train your own feedback system. I always laugh when I see people about to play a tournament with a bunch of training aids. <laughs> yeah guys oh no <laughs> <you doing? laughs> i mean i mean if anything if anything here's here's what i'm thinking if anything it's just a confidence builder like mm -hmm. you know they're not really learning anything new they're just confidence like hey here's what it is but um there's there's no guarantee you've learned it it's more like a mental kind of crutch here's the other thing with training aids um if if somebody is uh, thinking of like for instance the um, there's that impact trainer thing, you know, the, yeah. uh, it, it's snap. made pretty. What's that? The impact snap is it? Um, no, it's the hanger, the hanger. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. They came out with a lot of a lot of big big talk, and I'm sure those I'm sure those guys are really great guys, and they're nice guys, and they did a good job with it. Um, you just have to be careful that you're, you know, that, that just because you can do it on it, that doesn't mean you've just completely, you know, learned it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How often, um, how many lessons just out of interest, Trillian, how, how many lessons are you doing a week in the sort of peak season? Um, about 40, 35, 40. About 40 lessons. So this is good to go to the next question. Um, from a, from a biomechanics standpoint, what do you um, consistently see from your students? What keeps coming up that you're going, God, everybody does this. They're all doing this, that it's holding them back. What do you see from, uh, from really how they're moving their body? What shows up all the time? Um, people have tight hips. Tight hips, tight hips. And it's, it, I think that follow through, that the feeling of the follow through where your, where your pelvis is, you know, 30, 40 degrees open, your weight's on the front foot, your torso, you know, has a bit of side bend and extension and your arms are extended out. That's an awkward, difficult place. <laughs> yeah. Sounds horrible just talking about it, isn't it? Right? <laughs> right? Like, ugh. I think if, if I, I work on that with people a lot because I think it's insurance that you're going to bottom out. I mean, most people just don't rotate, pick up and lift up because it's easier on the back. And there's nothing in life that would give you any indication that this is what you're supposed to feel like. Yeah, yeah. Unless you skip a stone into ponds all day. <laughs> yeah, there's not many people doing that. You know, like, okay. Yeah, anyway, so I think that's that's a big one. Um, you know, feeling like you, your pressure's on that front foot and you, you've got extension with your, with your arms. You know, I've, I've, I've heard so many times, you, you know, you read around the internet and instructors will say, oh, the lead arm, you know, left arm is straight. That's a bunch of crap. And I gotta say, it's, 
I understand why coaches might say, don't focus on your left arm. You're going to get too tight. But I just see so many people that need to feel their lead arm long. They need to feel it. Yeah. Okay. If you're too handy, can't handicap. And that's, that's not necessarily going to be your thing. That's not going to be your thing. But I think for a lot of people that long lead arm is helpful. I think a lot of people also go into extension too much uh, at the top of, you know, the, at the top of the golf swing. I'd rather see someone feel like they have more of a flat left wrist. It just really helps getting that club behind, you know, behind your hands halfway down. Yeah. So I've just, I feel like those just highlight, highlight points can be kind of like um, turbo boost to, to better shots, like not a whole lot of work to get a much better outcome. I think especially with the golfers that we're generally dealing with, <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about, you know, the better you are as a golfer, the least important the backswing is, whereas the worse you are or the, the less, you know, the less time you've got for golf, really, the more important your backswing is. And then you just highlighted a couple of important ones there for sure. Mm-hmm. So just talking about swing thoughts, what, uh, again, information from what you use yourself, you know, internal versus external, how do you mix that up? What do, and what sort of things do we know about this? Well, we know that external thoughts are helpful. We know that it's, it's, you know, and I think um, Alpenfels and Christina, Dr. Christina, who's a great friend of mine, and Eric Alpenfels, they work together at Pinehurst and they've done a lot of great stuff on external, internal um, focus of attention. Gabby Wolf's done a ton of stuff on focus of attention. Um, you know, it, it just depends on the population of people that you're working with or the person in front of you, you that you're working with and the, and the issue that that's happening. I respect external focus of attention greatly. Mm. Um, and I found that there are times where where an individual needs to have explicit information of what to feel and what to do. And that is internal. And I've done a lot of both with people at a lot of different times. And I could even do um, it within the same task. Someone has ex an external thought and an internal thought. So I have not found from my, from my experience, my anecdotal answer is you need both and you need both a lot and it just depends on what's going on in front of you it's maybe a good thing for the listeners to probably even just be aware of the, the listeners might not even be aware of the difference between internal and external thoughts but it may be something that they go oh okay uh, maybe if i ex experiment with let's say thinking about what the right hip is doing or the the lead wrist is doing at the top of the backswing compared to thinking about what maybe um, where to strike the ground past the golf ball, which is more, more of an example of external. Yeah. Um, if they can be aware of the difference to go, okay, I'm really going to focus on internal, which is the wrist, see how that, how that pans out. And then let's see what happens when I don't focus on, on anything like that and focus external, see what produces the better results. I think there's a great awareness of that. Just an example of this recently. There was a guy who was had a lesson on the weekend and he was hitting the ground well before the golf ball. He wasn't shifting his weight to his lead leg. And we could have gone down the route of trying to get him to feel as he was shifting his weight to his lead leg. But instead, we went down the route of giving him an external focus of where the club needed to strike the ground right. and, and bottom out. And that seemed to have a much better impact. 
um, because he wasn't so bogged down with his body and feelings and he produced the movement when given the external cue. And I think it's a great lesson for the listeners to this to go, okay, well, I need to pay attention to that and see what works for me and experiment. I love that story. That's, that's great. So you figured out pretty quickly that that, that was going to work for him and you were observant enough to and cognizant of what you were doing you know the tax that you were giving him was pretty clear yeah. um yeah i if i'm if i'm to speak to the listeners right now on this sometimes i forget that i'm not just talking to you guys <laughs> <laughs> um he, this is a this is a really I'm so glad you brought this point up because I do really I do appreciate that when someone has a lot of thoughts on their mind I'm, I'm trying to do this I'm trying to do that I'm trying to keep my lead arm straight well I'll give someone an option say or just feel like it's long or loose or extended or flowing you know and give people some choices or doing nothing like maybe doing nothing is better than I mean, the point of the matter is we need the radius of your arc to stay the same one way or another. So if you're crunching it in before impact, that's going to be a problem unless you're dipping way down from the hips. Okay. Which you may be doing. So that could be fine. <laughs> right. So you, you get my, you get my point here. I mean, there's there, like you figure out how many different ways there are to think about did, did um, I'm sure, you know, this study staccato and, and Perkins they had, they had a, and Tim Lee was on the study too. They had, they had novice golfers and they have expert golfers and they gave the novice golfers internal and external, sorry, they had four groups, internal, external, internal, external. So the internal thought was, um, I don't know, let's make it up. I can't remember what the thought was. I think it was something specific in the movement, like feel like your, it was a 50 yard shot, feel like your arms are making the letter Y with the club, you know, that very specific to the task at hand, like how to do it would be in, an internal thought. How do you do it? Here's how you do it. The external thought was hit it close to the pool noodle. That's like, okay, however you need to do it, just do it. Um, so it turns out the experts did much better with the hit it close to the pool noodle. The, the beginners didn't do well with that. The beginners needed to have some instruction of how to do it. So yeah. I think that that clearly gives a picture of where people might be with certain things. Like I ski, I've been, I grew up skiing. Grew up skiing, I have three ski areas in my hometown. And I didn't grow up with, with lots of ski lessons. I just skied and I skied with a bunch of um, kids that were my age that were you know boys, much better, much more aggressive. So I was always pushed. Now, recently, I skied with the ski instructor and he gave me all his instructions. I had no blistering idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Pressure on the lead edge and the and I was like, when? Wait, when do I do that? And, and I must have looked like such an idiot going down. And then <laughs> and then the next run, you know, we went down. So he's like, that was great. And I'm like, what? <clears throat> I wasn't thinking about anything. But that's because I'd already kind of had the motion innately in me. So I thought that was such an it was such a perfect example of internal external cues now i'm sure that if i had the afternoon with them and i had and i had to make a change i could i could figure those internal cues out and that was really going to make me a better skier 
um, I would do it, which I think I did in hindsight. I think I did. I think I think I really worked it out with um, but it did not come comfortably or naturally. So if you are back to Andy, back to your point, you know, if you're if you're practicing and your your coach has said, all right, here's you know, we want this A, B, and C to happen in the club, you know, with the club on the way back. You got to do it. So you got you have to you have to go through the motion slowly. And here's what I do with people: I'll, I'll do uh, sets of three. So the first motion, you're going to think and you're going to go through it slowly and think about it internal. The second one, you're going to go um, no ball, but a little faster and not think as much. And you're trying to get the feel for it. Third one, you do with the ball. And then you go back and do it again. Think about it, get it right. Second one, you kind of get the feel. And the third with the ball. So, so we're trying to go from thinking to feeling. That's, that's always what we're trying to do. Think to feel, think to feel, 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 feel. I like that. Simple, simple. Uh, should we go to quick fire? Yep, I think so. We're flying through these here, but um, right. So, what we always like to finish this off with quick fire, which usually takes about half an hour. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll do, <laughs> we'll do our best. It, we'll do our best. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, first one. What one thing would you change about golf, if anything? Pace of play. Let's everybody go fast. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So the next question is then, because it's a very valid point. How do we go faster? Um. I don't want to be mean to the people who can't carry the bags, but walk. <laughs> yeah. Walk. Um, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe understand how to use a golf cart properly from yeah. a, with two of you in it. <laughs> two of you in it with, there's, um, your club, there's your ball. You get those clubs, take your, take your range, find it off you go. And maybe have fast tea times in the morning, you slow tea times in the afternoon, you know, figure out oh. a way on your golf course to just, let the fast players play fast if they want to play fast. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. Three golf truths. <sighs> you just <laughs> throw this on me. It's horrible. I could have come up with something so good, but now I have no time. <laughs> they're always good. No yeah. pressure, but they're You'll always right. good. Three, three truths about golf. Three truths. Um, ha, let's see. One truth for sure is... Uh, the, the quest never ends. <laughs> quest for whatever that is, that perfect shot, the hole in one. Um, I'm still on the hole in one quest. Don't worry about that. That, hasn't, that hasn't even started for me yet. What's that? I'm still on the hole in one quest. I haven't had one yet. So neither have I. No, I'm glad I've, it's not me then. I've never had one. I think I need to start aiming at the flag more often. That help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, I, I need to start aiming to miss the green, I think. I might do a better oh. job. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What's another truth? Um, let's see. Ah, you got to bottom out to make good contact. <laughs> there we go. Like it. And um, doesn't matter how you play. Uh, it's more like who you are, you know? Like, it's, like, you can play with anybody. So I often say this to people that haven't been playing for a long time. Um, you, you just have to get, you have to be proficient enough that you need to play, but you don't have to be perfect. Um, you can play with anybody. Golf's kind of that game where you could have a, you could have a 20 handicap and you can play with a scratch golfer. I think you, what you just said there, the last one is probably one of the biggest reasons why people don't want to play the game. You know, because they feel like they do a little bit, find out it's hard, have a few bad experiences, and then before you know it, 
they're, they're out. And they expect everyone to be just really, really good Absolutely. when it's not the case. <laughs> we yeah. all have terrible shots. They, th they expect that everybody else is good. That's right. And they don't realize that not a lot of people are breaking 100 or 90. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, certainly not a lot of people are breaking 80. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we are probably in a little bit of a bubble because we see a lot of great players all the time. But I think most, most people, you just got to, you know, got you say, hey, it's okay if I'm not amazing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What is one golf myth that drives you crazy? Oh. Yeah, that um, just by by knowing what to do, they're going to be great. Taking one lesson, um, they're going to be a great player. As said by true PGA coach, love it. <laughs> no, but I totally agree. You're absolutely right. <laughs> What's the best tip you have ever received? <laughs> so hard because I've th there's so many different levels of tips, right? Yeah. You know, like my, I feel like I've got some great guidance on things that's so above golf but applies to golf mm. share one of those share one of those share yeah. one of those <laughs> i want to know i want to know it might help might help me as well what's that yeah um and I, I think it's it's like the hard stuff is you know struggling and and feeling feeling frustrated and it being hard is is really good and that you know you it, it's not going to be squeaky clean um, if you're making progress. It's going to be rough um, and uncomfortable and you, you get blisters and you have to kind of push through it. And that's, that's a, one of those young things, you know, I learned when I was on the young side, um, but it just applies to everything. And I see it more the older I get people yeah. that have done the work. It's, it's funny because you just saying that me and Pierce were having a bit of a meeting earlier on. I think we just mentioned it to you before we came on air and we were chatting about things and we going, God, this is, this is so tough. This is really hard. And, and we're like, yes, it is. But the fact that it's hard means that it's going to be good. And we were like, look, this is really tough mentally, but this is what, this is what's going to separate and get the, you know, get the best out of us because it's challenging and it's tough. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely, um, just, just look at the Olympics. We just had the Olympics, exactly. And every single one of those athletes is just like putting themselves through it for four years to do it for ten seconds. In some case, crazy. Yeah. Were you guys there? You went to Tokyo? Oh no, 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 no. Just I don't know what we were. <laughs> I don't think anyone was allowed to go, were they? <laughs> That's right. I would, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you guys are everywhere. <laughs> no, no, we didn't pull that one off. It would have been nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? Actually, yeah, would have been nice. Okay, we have one more here. So what one thing would you tell young Trillium to do to get better at golf? Um, find a really good coach early. Interesting. Good. I like that. For me, that for me, and then maybe that's not for everybody, but I found a good coach late. Yeah. Okay. And, and just sorry, just just for people listening to this, for you, what defines a good coach? Um, help with my you know so my dad taught me how to play and he was good he was good but I think the you know the volume of information I think the the the, the information he gave me was good but I don't think it it wasn't sort of organized in a way that I understood kind of the, the like a like a taxonomy of okay now the next progression is this and the 
progression is that and here's what we're trying to do um and i think i just do really well on a team i i, I don't think I, i'm not like the loner type that would hang out on a range and be alone and do stuff i really wanted to always be with the team um, and do stuff collaboratively with other people and and i think that was probably um that was probably the best thing that happened to me is, is working with Jim McLean and all of those other great coaches. And, and then we've really pushed each other. So I, I think what you guys have is so great um, because we pushed, we pushed each other, we questioned each other, you know, any, you made a statement, you had to back it up. Um, we explored stuff. We poked holes in things. We, you know, we really dug up a lot of things and, and that was early on, um, you mm. know? And so I think had I, but, but like in my, late twenties, early thirties, I think for me as a, as a player, um, I would have really done well had I had something like that, like a team, you know, a coach and a team and, and somebody like a real mentor early on that could help me with my game. Cause it really, I was just playing in tournaments by myself and I just didn't, you know, I just played. Um, I think I was 12 when I played in my first tournament and that was, not that fun. I mean, it's okay, but I, that's how I learned golf. I learned golf by playing in tournaments. There was no junior program. I didn't have a coach. It was, there's was no after school thing. There was nothing, no junior league golf, none of these things. I just played with my brother, my dad, and then we entered tournaments. Um, so I think, you know, I have a daughter now. I think if, if she's, you know, she's interested in golf, that's definitely, there's so much more for her now than there ever was. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we have a hundred percent success right now on not making it quick fire questions. <laughs> thank you for keeping us going on that. <laughs> really look, Trillium, thank you so much for your time. Where, where, where are you most active and where can the listeners go and follow you? Is it, you know, on social media, what are the, the best ways to get hold of you? Yeah, probably Instagram. I'm on Twitter a little bit, Instagram quite a bit. Uh, and I've got a website, um, you can always reach out via email there. And I'm a little bit on Clubhouse. Are you guys on Clubhouse at all? We were. We were, we were yeah. a little bit at the start, but um, it's trying to manage all the time. It's quite hard to be on all of them. Hard. It's open to everybody now. So I was thinking yeah. that might be a cool thing to do. But uh, yeah, anyway, Instagram's probably the easiest. Perfect. We'll put the links in the in the, uh, in the show notes as well so people can go and uh, follow you and get in contact with you and do some of the great, see some of the great work that you're doing as well. But thank you so much for your time. It's been great to catch up. Hopefully we can catch up in the, in real person um, at the PGA show, whenever that happens, hopefully it's going to be soon, but um, yeah. Thank and you so much. For yeah. And again, thanks again. Cause I think some of the things you've shared there are so, so important for golfers to take on board and to ask themselves those questions and hopefully go down a better route of learning for sure. Yeah. You guys obviously are absolutely on point. Um, clearly you really know what you're doing because your questions are really good and hit on some spots that are, I think weak, weak areas for most people, not because they're, um, you know, not because they haven't been doing anything just because it's a hard, it's a hard game. It's hard to figure out sometimes um, without some help. So keep it up. For sure. Thanks, Trillium. Welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.